She was asking for it. What did she expect? She knew where we were going. You should have, you should have seen her jump in the car to impress her friends. She changed her mind. Oh, come on, please. Did she ask you to stop? Please, What world do you live in? That's, that's just part of the game. Like hell it is. This is no game, Mark. People are dead because of you. Look, what's the big deal? She's, she's nobody. I wasn't even the first. Welcome to Highlander Rewatch, the podcast where each and every week we watch a different episode of Highlander the series and talk about it in detail. Uh, Before we get into this week's episode, um, why don't we just break the ice a little bit with a question. New Star Wars. Eh? (laughs) May the force be with you. You guys like it? Everyone's seen it. I have mildly positive thoughts about it. Mildly positive. Eamon? I enjoyed it. You know, I watched it. I liked it. I was entertained. Um, uh, I'm not crazy about it like everyone on the planet seems to be, but I liked it. I thought it was pretty darn good. Very good. I liked it a lot. I, I had a big bowl, a big bowl, big bucket of popcorn. I big it was bowl great. of popcorn. Yep. I thought it was pretty pretty great. It, it delivered on everything I wanted it to be, and, and it, it was not a pile of shit. So. Right. Yeah, yeah, well, that was its only goal. It was so safe. Yep. It was like, hey, how how much could we aim for the middle on this movie? <laughs> Let's just bullseye the middle. <laughs> Are we going to get more reader mail for our, our our opening remarks about the new Star Wars than we will about Highlander? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> May the source be with you. Oh! <laughs> yep. Hey everyone, we've got some reader mail here. This one about uh, the episode Saving Grace. This comes from Magdalena H. She gives us a, a pretty good breakdown about Tessa's relationship with... Duncan's immortal lovers, particularly uh, Amanda and then Grace. And in there, she makes one really interesting point that I wanted to mention about how Grace might have survived the game as a pacifist. She says, You guys mentioned how is it possible that Grace is still alive without fighting. I'd point out here that the game, if we use a video game analogy... Would you, as a fighter character, go after someone who had years of experience fighting and had tons of quickening goody loot to drop? Or would you go after the random NPC pacifist healer? Unless you're into ganking people, you probably won't go after someone who won't offer you the the sort of power that you're looking for. As a former World of Warcraft player, I It sounds like you're in recovery or something. I was a former player. I see. Yeah, after after years of therapy, I've (laughs) I've gotten over this and the pain of being ganked, so... That is a fair point. You probably would not get much out of a quickening from Grace if she hasn't been going around killing people. Whereas if you took Max head, you'd be getting the goodies. <laughs> Very good. Okay, let's jump into this week's episode. This is episode number 21, Nowhere to Run. It first aired May 15th, 1993. Uh, it was directed by Dennis Barry. He's uh, uh, one of the, uh, the great first season directors. He's back again. Uh, he did Eye of the Beholder. Which is an episode I think some of us liked and some of us didn't, but uh, I think it's, we it's were all well entertained done. by it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He also worked on Rin Tin Tin. What's what's the subtitle of that? It's no secret. 
How one dog fights crime. <laughs> we should. We got to put a clip of Rin Tin Tin up on yeah. the page. I'm worried. I'm just gonna have, like. This is just gonna have been a fever dream, or maybe it was about Inspector Gadget <laughs> or something. <laughs> but uh, we'll find out. All right. And this was written by David Abramowitz. Um, and this is actually the only episode in the entire series that he wrote. I guess oh, wow. uh, like solo. I believe. Huh. Um, the rest he was a story consultant or scripts consultant, supervising um, producer. Yeah. Um, although I do know. He did do a lot of rewrites on the next episode, The Hunters. Um, okay. So I'm kind of curious what his contributions were to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which, spoiler alert, that is a much better episode than this one. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> That's an understatement. Anyway. <laughs> um, this episode guest stars Peter Guinness as Colonel Bellion. Uh, he was in Sleepy Hollow, Alien 3. Yeah, Doctor Who. There you go. And it's also got Anthony uh, Heed as Alan Rothwood. He is well known for another watcher, not a Highlander watcher, but uh, Giles in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, yeah, look at that. Yeah, he was in another big franchise. Yeah, another interesting tidbit about him is he's in Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance. Whoa. Which also stars uh, Christopher Lambert. That's right. Yeah. Whoa. That's interesting. Mm. Crossover universe. Maybe <laughs> Ghost Rider right. and Highlander World's exist Goliath. in the same universe. Of the two Ghost Rider movies, that one's not that bad. I remember thinking yeah, it was okay. A, that's not yeah. a high hurdle to get over. <laughs> yeah, though. it is huge. <laughs> that's saying a lot. Uh, and then, of course, this episode also guest stars Marianne Cotillier uh, as Laurie Bellion. Um, everyone knows her from, she's now a big movie star, Inception, yeah. The Dark Knight Rises. Mm-hmm. Uh, Levy and Rose. Yeah, that's a good movie about Edith Piaf. Mm-hmm. She's great. Very good. Uh, so let's read the episode description. This is the IMDb episode description for Nowhere to Run. Mark Rothwood, the son of diplomat Alan Rothwood, rapes the stepdaughter of the immortal Colonel Bellion. Duncan, Tessa, and Richie go to Rothwood's house to visit Alan, who is an old friend of Tessa's, and Bellion shows up for revenge. <laughs> Believing that Rothwood deserves a fair trial, Duncan must guard the house against the siege of Bellion and his team of mercenaries. So that's lays it all out there for you. <laughs> yeah. Wow. These IMDb descriptions are priceless <laughs> yep. for the most part. That was a really long one, too. Yeah. yeah. At least it didn't spell out the, yeah. the relationships between every single character like <laughs> some of our previous. Duncan, who's dating Tessa <laughs> and is immortal. <laughs> uh, so this episode opens up with a car driving down the road, and it's got man and a woman in it and they're kind of getting a little frisky uh mm-hmm. did anyone take note of the music that is playing they're listening to a song that is probably called the hunter yeah, yeah. Uh, i wrote down all the lyrics and yeah. it's crazy uh so the lyrics of the song is he's tracking her down with a drink and a smile he's moving up closer her mouth's getting drier what? i don't know what that uh... means uh but something doesn't feel right touching her skin he wonders if it's all right and how did this begin the hunter the hunter this is fucking gross. Yep. It is <laughs> gross. Is this a real song? I believe they wrote this song just for this episode. Wow. So it's like, hey, you got any uh, date rape songs in the old like catalog? I'll whip one up for you. Yeah. Insert Bill Cosby joke. <laughs> uh, Sorry. <laughs> Too soon. <laughs> On the next, and the next episode is called The Hunters. Mm. Ooh. Yeah, hey, this is uh, like part of your theory that uh, an element from. The, one episode yeah. always seems to carry into the next one. Yeah, I might go back and look over. That's a the really list interesting. Think about this. Way to yeah. think about it. Yeah, because you're right. Yeah, it's the the hunter, the hunter. Hmm. <laughs> Very Which good. is a better name than the roofie, the roofie. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Raise the roofie. So anyway, they're in this kind of sweet sports car. Yeah, it's and nice. The young man who we f- soon find out is the the son of a rich diplomat is getting very handsy 
uh, with this girl, and she's not into it at all. No. Nope. He's being real creepy about it. He's like, oh, come on, don't you like me? Like, you knew what was going on. Blah, yeah, blah, blah. and then he, like, kicks her out of the car. He's like, yeah. well, if you're not going to get down with it, like, get out. He's like, this yeah. isn't a taxi service. And right. he just kicks her into the wilderness. Right. Yeah, this guy's top-level scumbag <laughs> immediately. Yep. And he's a top-level scumbag before he gets out of the car and sexually assaults her, yep. which is what's about to happen. Yeah, so he yes. then gets out. He follows her into the woods. They kiss some more, and then... She shrieks, and it cuts. Yeah, the camera just kind of pulls away, and then we, then we see her later stumbling down the side of the road, yep. all disheveled. Her ter- clothes are all torn up. Yeah. So Looks she's, like she's presumably been raped. Not in a good state. Right. Yeah. And she encounters a man who we learn to be her stepfather, and his response is very intense. I mean, yeah. obviously, she's just been assaulted, but he's, like, screaming at her. He is, yeah. like, in her face. Does, it's, it's, it's a bit much. It's unsettling. Also, because he's, he's more concerned with who did this to her than if she's okay. Yeah, I don't know. If, does he ever even say, are you okay? He's just like, so. who did it? I'm no, yeah, go. he's just like, who did this? And then when she hesitates, she shrieks. He shrieks in her face, tell me. <laughs> Swear to me. Yeah. <laughs> It's uh, it's not good. So yeah. that sets off the, I guess, the, the conflict in this episode. So mm-hmm. we cut to Richie, Tess, and Duncan, and they're pulling up to this big mansion. It's mm-hmm. like a castle. Yeah, yeah. this like, place Richie is has, Richie has to huge. get out to open giant barred gates. Right. Right. And so Big Star gets out mm-hmm. to, to take care of the... the yeah, which the gates for those who aren't tracking, Richie is wearing his iconic jacket that just says Big Star. Yep, <laughs> I wish that was sold in the Highlander catalog. That would be awesome. I would bought a buy a Big is Star. Is Big Star like a thing? I I've looked up Big Star jacket, Big Star clothing brands. Mm. I can't really find it. I've, mm. I found a lot of like pictures of celebrities wearing jackets because they're. Big, big stars, stars. yeah mm. it's, google image is not if anyone out there knows what the deal is with this big star jacket yeah. i would love to know and yeah. we'd love to have and one. We'd like, yeah, yeah please three <laughs> or we could all share one if it's big enough yeah <laughs> the biggest star yeah <laughs> it shines the brightest yeah. so there's some really funny kind of weird dialogue while while they're in this car yep yeah i guess tessa used to carry it when she was a small child carried a flame for this wealthy diplomat because they were family friends Right. And but, Duncan is really into this. He's like, yep. ooh, yep. when she's telling funny. the story. Tell me more. And he, like, tickles her neck, and it's, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's hot. <laughs> and profoundly. She, she's saying that she's describing her life on this chateau. Do you want to play this clip? Yeah, let's, let's just play this whole clip. Alan was the first man I ever loved. Should I be jealous? Very. I was seven. He was 19. When he joined the diplomatic service after college and left the country, I was heartbroken. (laughs) Even then, I had a thing for older men. Maybe Duncan is like poking (laughs) at her, like under the seat. Clearly, yeah. (laughs) Also, this music. This is, I think, the same music cue or very similar to what I call the best friends forever theme uh, at the end of Eye of the Beholder. When oh, right. after he kills uh, Gabriel, he like has a meltdown and then it just so cuts to him and Richie and we're like, here? we're friends again. Yeah. Like, no, this is the same. We would yeah. visit yeah. almost every Sunday. Alan's mother and my mother were very old friends. 
was magical. Magical. Work parties to dress up for and horses to ride. This is terrible music. <laughs> Sounds just like my childhood, except for the uh, parties, the magic, and the horses. <laughs> uh, do we find that legitimately funny? Yes. Yeah, it's I pretty think, good. I think that's pretty funny. Yeah. Also, it sounds like he's trying to introduce a rock, paper, scissors alternative. Because <laughs> party beats magic, magic beats horses, and horses ruin parties. I love that idea. We have to play that. Yeah, we, that's a good game. New game. <laughs> that can be our sign-off. We've been your host, parties, horses, and magic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so they, they go inside and meet up with Alan. And so we, we end up seeing that Alan's son is there, whose name is, uh, what's his name, Mark? Mark, yep. And he's, he's the, the scoundrel, the, yep. the goof, the raping goof from yep. earlier. Yeah. What, uh, something about his entire appearance was so familiar looking to yeah. me. Like I felt like I was looking at like a Morrissey thing. Like I don't right. know what it was, he, but he's got like a certain like British like rock appearance with like the oversized jacket and yeah. his hair kind of has that like almost John Arbuckley forward <laughs> like <laughs> part to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that look is, but it's familiar in some yeah. way. Well so I want to say yeah, this sorry. about when he comes in, when Alan's son comes in to meet Tess and Mac, he talks to Tess and he's immediately a creep. Yep. And he's like, uh, oh, my father said you were beautiful and not married. He, like, checks her <laughs> ring finger to see if she's married or not. She's, like, happily taken, though. Yeah. Also, he's, like, 19, right? right. And uh-huh. Tess has to be 31. 30-something? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. If, as, like, a, he's clearly between, like, 17 and 19. He's supposed to be Richie's age. Like, I didn't have this kind of balls when I was, like, if I met a maybe married woman, like, I would never hit on her in front of my parents and, yeah. like... And their muscle-bound, <laughs> like, gentleman escort. Yes. Also, yep. this might speak to the fact that you're not a sexual predator. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> that might be part of it. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, so nothing holds Mark back. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Literally nothing. Literally nothing. <laughs> Gross. Um, it's not funny, but... <laughs> So Tess has been invited here by Alan uh, to like help redecorate the mansion, yeah. Which seems like it's a big job for like one person. Yeah, uh, this place is huge. Yeah, it seems um, like a big job for a team of people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I thought this is kind of like an interesting like TV trope. Uh, this like redecorating or moving into a new place is something that's used in a, in a ton of TV. Actually, I, I was just watching episodes of Marin, and they kind of call it out because they, they always have the, the, the guest star move into the same house. It's like, oh, oh right, Ravana right. yeah. moved out. I'm yeah. moving in. And it's just a way to kind of, they only have one place they can shoot at, and mm. so they can reuse it again. But also, it's a way to kind of avoid set dressing. Mm. And it's like, they didn't need to furnish this place. They kind of probably went to some props warehouse or a thrift store or something, and just filled it with stuff. And we're like, oh, it's been empty for years. And that's a cheap way to kind of decorate the set. So I thought that was interesting. And this is something that you see in a lot of episodic TV to kind of save some money. Yeah, they did it on The Simpsons, too. But that that has drawings, so. (laughs) Uh, When George Bush moves in across the street. Remember that one? Alaska. No. 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 Bummer. I think by the time we're talking about George W. No. Oh, we're like reaching back. Oh, wow. Yeah, the first one. It's a good episode. Watch that one. So Mark is, of course, we're still still talking about Mark. Like, this is insane how creepy this guy is. He then goes on to tell Richie how, like, terrible this place is. Because he's like, oh, like, all the women are cows, he says. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's it's terrible. The cows have more style and better legs. And there's an interstitial cut yes. as he's saying this. It's like in a blue filter to like this 
sexual assault again. So that's the yeah. first flashback. This is the second time, essentially, we're seeing the rape happen. Right. It's uh, uncomfortable the amount of times they show yeah. us this. Oh, I have a it running is, count. Uh, oh, God. Because oh, it is constant. It's like bombarding you. Yeah. So, two things. One, he says, the end better legs. Uh, and that's after this interstitial cut. And it's yeah. like, they use a joke to, like, bookend... The a rape. Horrific like, rape. It's like, yeah. he's like, oh, the women are cows. Rape. Oh, and they have better legs. It's like, oh, like you made a dead little joke at the end of that. Uh, that's pretty awful. But I was kind of curious, because they do they do play this rape a lot during this yeah. episode. And I was wondering, is that padding? Are they just padding the shit out of this episode? Or, like, we all did feel, like, it is very uncomfortable how much they play it. And is was that intentional? Like, were they really trying to go for, this is uncomfortable to watch? I have, yeah, I, I have mixed feelings about this footage because on the one hand, it is effective and it's shot well. I think it's like the best filmed thing about this episode, unfortunately. But other than that, it it's very uncomfortable. Hmm. It is very uncomfortable. And I feel like, I mean, the amount that they discuss rape and like really kind of get into it leads me to think that maybe there was a point and a purpose and this, there may have been a, you know, a, a message embedded in, in this whole thing. But the kind of Looney Tunes character of the rest of the episode <laughs> really takes your eye off the ball on that right. yeah. badly. Yep. The, yeah, the plot and whatever message this could be in service of or whatever point it could be in service of are in serious conflict. Yeah. Let, let's play. I just want to play a clip of Mark. We can't get off of Mark. We're in like the first nope. three minutes of this episode. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, just this is this is his like first interaction with Richie after Richie tells him nice harp. Tessa tells me that you live just about everywhere in the world. Hmm. Diplomat brat. That's me. Look, I know you're trying to be friendly, but what's the point? I mean, I know we're both guys, but really. Well, both guys, but really. He sounds like he's doing a Jim Backus impression, the guy from uh, uh, Gilligan's Island, or Mr. Magoo. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Pour me another whiskey. Uh. <laughs> but really, I can't believe this. Really. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, he, like, cartoonishly hates Richie right off the bat. Well, like, he's, well there can be only one big star. Yeah. It's apparently Richie. So. That's true. And I guess the fact that they're both guys doesn't really matter. Yeah. <laughs> But, like, what, we're both guys, so we should be friends? Is that what we're supposed to get out of this? No, I think he's saying, like, we're not going to be friends just because we're both guys. Like, Uh, they want us to hang out because we're the same age. Yeah, because Tess brings Richie over for a play date with... (laughs) They're both adults. You two play together. (laughs) The adults are going to go decorate the house. Play with the harp. Bring. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, anyway, uh, Duncan gets the buzz. Uh, while they're kind of walking around the house, and he's like, I gotta get something from the car, and he goes outside and comes across Everett. Which, side note, it almost looks like the way it's shot, and like this sound cue, it almost looks like Mark gets a little buzz. Oh, really? Yeah, there's like this weird Mm. sound cue, and Mark kind of tilts his head up. It's very strange. I want to see this again for this purpose, because it's almost like he gets like a Baby buzz. Baby buzz. Huh. A baby buzz. <laughs> Here's an interesting thing. When Mac goes out to greet Colonel Bellion, he, he like, addresses him. I can't remember which one, by a military rank. He calls him general. He's like, what can yeah. I do for you, general? And I'm like, like huh? is he wearing some sort of patch or insignia that identifies him as military? Because 
That was confusing. I couldn't figure that out either. I think he notices that there's the other guy in the background and is like just speaking to the fact that he's got like a military bearing. Oh. I think is because he guesses wrong. Like he's right, right that he's in the military, but he's obviously not a general. So hmm. it was interesting. So he's there to commit like vigilante justice against Mark. Right. Uh, and he mentions that Marion Cotillard is his stepdaughter, which again is another interesting little thing. They mentioned it has to be a stepdaughter because right. he obviously can't have kids because he can't have kids. Right. right. Um, so I, I, I kind of like that. They, they always kind of mm-hmm. sprinkle those little things in the background. So he basically prov- um, gives Mac an ultimatum to deliver Mark or there's going to be trouble. Right. Yeah. Which is kind of interesting. I actually, at this moment in the episode, not quite knowing what was going to come after this, I was kind of excited about this mm-hmm. because this is probably the first time at this moment that we're seeing Duncan in a conflict with another immortal that could be described as neutral to good. Like, this guy's not here for Mac. We have no reason at this point to think he's a villain. Right. And this is the first time he's had a conflict with another mortal under those terms. Like, theoretically, this episode could kill, end with him killing a perfectly good guy because they have a separate legitimate conflict. Right. And I was pretty excited for the way that could play out as of this moment in the episode. Right. Because the general basically throws down the gauntlet and says, like, you need to deliver this guy or, or we're going through you and... And getting him. Duncan goes back inside and confronts Mark, like, right away. And he's mm-hmm. like, this is what's going on outside. And then he's like, did you rape her? Yeah. Just, just want to say, Adrian Paul does it. I think this is some of the better acting we've seen from Adrian Paul. It's, like, a little intense and a little yeah. more on the what you don't do yeah. side of things. But it's, I don't know, I th- I thought he was legitimately intimidating. And I was like, wow, yeah. all right. And he, he also I does, agree. there's, like, a good journey of emotions through this. Because mm-hmm. he doesn't come out of the gate at, like, 11. Like, yeah. he's like... This is what's happening outside, and he's like he's he plays it kind of cool. Asks some like pointed questions to see kind of where things are going, and then mm-hmm. it escalates. Uh, and Mark's Mark's answers are real run of the mill and creepy. Like this kind of guy, like he accuses yeah. her of blackmailing him, and just thinks she he probably can, got like, knocked up by her boyfriend. She's yeah. looking for an excuse because I'm rich, right? I'm rich. So oh, what? and there's and there's a flashback to the rape here. So this is number Again. three. This is the yeah. third rape we've seen. Oh boy. So at this point, do you think Mac believes him? I was unsure because it kind of ends with Mac really has him pinned up against the wall. He really gives him the business and he, in like a panicked way, still denies it. So at that point, do you think Mac's satisfied? Do you, does he think he's sussed out the truth or what I don't, at this I point? I don't know if he really knows. And then this, the scene also ends with a flashback, which which <sighs> deals with this, this, this conflict. Well, I, oh, I, I will say, I don't know if it matters for Mac if it's true or not, because that's irrelevant yeah. for Mac at this moment. And right. it's about like due process and it's like if he did it or not that doesn't matter like you right. can't just drag somebody away i think that's max ultimate point just from the rest of the season the impression i got which i might be making up myself is that mac probably suspects him just because he always has these hunches yeah where it usually ends up right but yeah. i could be projecting that onto this episode no i think he probably is airing more towards yeah. he did it than not can we talk about this awful flashback Good sure God. yeah <laughs> Ugh. I forget how it transitions. Does, does anybody remember? Uh, it, it goes out the window. The camera right. pans out the window in, onto the field, and that dissolves into the, uh, the French countryside, a right. field there. So then there's a there's a, 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 a what do they call this? I, I forget the firing, firing squad? squad. Yeah, and they're about to shoot somebody who keeps on saying I didn't do it. Right. He's, he's accused of desertion. Right. But it seems like there may have been confused orders, or like this guy was was doing what he was supposed to do, but he's been accused of 
basically being a wall or something right, right the the commander is saying something along the lines well th- they said you deserted like this right. is a and so they're trying to mirror this sort of like your word against theirs sort mm-hmm. of conflict that's the problem with mark and the colonel yeah right. the, the 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 man about to be executed does say it's their word versus mine mm-hmm. right and mac apparently knows the truth of, right. of this thing so, so he comes galloping in and right. he tries to stop the execution they won't listen they go to fire and he actually jumps in front of some of the bullets yep uh but he doesn't get them all yeah uh, and goes literally it's a slow-mo no <laughs> kind of moment and i just went Ugh. and then he's like on the ground like he didn't do it or something like that right i forget what yeah he says and exactly. it's so like mac fails but also there is no no emotional connection to this event whatsoever like not invested in whatever is happening here at all plus no. it's kind of ridiculous and it, he doesn't even have a meaningful exchange with this commander guy he's yeah. just like hey shut up right and it's yeah. like somebody just ran up on a horse and was like hang on hang on you're not gonna like at least let him get a couple sentences out yep guy yeah but also fair enough it just seemed shoehorned in like this episode didn't need this flashback well, it's never brought up again. No. Like, and it's just like, we have we have these uniforms, let's use them again. It's just grass, and they're standing on it. Right. That's well, it. I think it exists, this flashback exists for one reason, and I think it's for the visual parody later, when the, not to skip too far ahead, but the father, uh, the diplomat, Oh. takes a bullet for his son at a certain point in this episode. That's right. I and there's a visual yeah. mirroring where he kind of jumps in front, does the whole no mm-hmm. thing, and there's I think there's supposed to be some kind of parody right. here. I um, didn't make that connection. That's good. That was yeah. good. But I think that's the only anchor to this yeah. entire concept here. Yeah. I don't get it. I was disappointed in it. Yeah. Also, side note on this, because the uniform he's wearing here is similar to the uniform he is wearing in the flashback where he meets Darius. Darius in Waterloo. Right. This is supposed to be 1815, according to the Watcher Chronicles. Okay. So this is not, or is this part of his same tour of duty? I would assume the same tour. When, when, was, one, when was Waterloo? I'd have to look it up. I don't know. I think it's around the same time. Yeah. I'm the most ignorant of history out of the three of us here. Uh-huh. Like, you guys have all this knowledge of history. I'm always <laughs> just like... I yep. <laughs> you, know that's, a, you know that Simpsons an observation. thing. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's historical. There's the history of Springfield. Yeah. <laughs> so when was when was Waterloo? So it turns out Waterloo was in fact in 1815. Oh, okay. so this is part, part of, of the, part of that same tour. I guess this is when he retired from the British forces fighting Napoleon. That's right. true. Uh, yeah. <laughs> because a group of people just watched him get blown away. Yep. Uh, <laughs> So, I guess I guess there's that. I guess we know how this chapter in Duncan's life plays out, I right. suppose. Yeah. Huh. huh, interesting. So, after this flashback, Duncan goes outside and confronts Everett, and they both kind of give a sounding board to what their philosophies are on this situation. And yeah. so, Duncan's is... Do we want to play this clip and talk yeah, about it? Yeah, I think this yeah. is a yeah. good clip. If it were your woman he raped, what would you do? Is this animal worth endangering everyone in the chateau? Then let them go. I have no desire to harm the innocent, McLeod. But you will! The safety doesn't depend on me. It depends on you. Well, they also cover in this the, the idea of justice versus vengeance, where the colonel here 
thinks it's justice that he take Mark and I mean, I guess his goal is to kill him. Yeah, presumably. Presumably. And also, he holds no kind of responsibility for other people's, you know, getting in the way of that. Right. uh, Which is an interesting, I think, kind of battle between him and Duncan. Like, Duncan would do whatever he could to protect innocent people, where this guy says, well, you just need to get out of my way. Right. And it's on you if you get hurt. Right. Well, especially in this case, where he kind of has an incentive to want to fight McCloud, theoretically. Yeah, just Just, to to get him out of the way. Yeah, and just for the game purposes Mm -hmm. and things like that. He is, he is very cavalier about hurting all these other people, though, which I think at a certain point starts to diminish kind of his moral standing throughout right. this quest. It's Definitely. Like, it's one thing if he wants to go get this guy, because the interesting wrinkle is because he's a diplomat. That some, at some point, they raise the specter of diplomatic immunity that right. the justice system may actually not be able to remedy this. Yeah. Uh, but once you start being willing to waste a bunch of innocent people... In order to punish this guy, it's like, uh. yeah, it turns an odd line because he's also like super calm and collected here. Like, I think if the colonel was a little more unhinged, I think I would be more sympathetic to his, I don't want to say desire to hurt innocent people, but the, the, like that he's blinded by the fact that he might hurt innocent people because he's so upset. But he seems so, like, together. Like, yeah. he's got a plan, he's got a scheme, like, and he doesn't care who gets in the way. And that makes him, I think, for me, like, a little like, well, you're an asshole now. Like, Yeah, yeah it's all very premeditated. Um, there was something else that, that came up in this, and I think it's the last time it gets mentioned this season. Uh, and I just wanted to address it because we talk about it a lot. He does refer to, what if it was your woman? Yeah. yeah and so, we, we've mentioned this a bunch, like, that always, like bugs us and i was yep. thinking i was like oh why does it bug us like i know it, it does and it bugs it bugs me a little bit and i was trying to think like well what what is it about that phrase and i think it's the fact that like even even if he said like your wife or your girlfriend would be better but i think it's the fact that like they're diminishing that person's identity only to their gender well, rather it's, than it's like the, even the relationship to Duncan. Yeah. it's like well they're they're your girlfriend or they're your wife like at least there's some relationship and there, there's there's meaning in that where otherwise it's just like well you have a different body part and I don't know. It's, it comes across a little demeaning to yeah. me. Well, also, it makes it sound more possessory. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. your wife implies a relationship between the two of you. Your right. woman implies ownership yeah. or some kind of claim. Mm-hmm. And that's that's really the problematic part about it. Yeah. yeah. I just I don't like that, that turn of phrase. Me and it's been either. rampant throughout the, the yeah. first season. It's and used a lot. Frankly, in the movies, too. Um, oh, yeah. You know, just the entire ever-looming presence of sexual assault in this series does make me uncomfortable, and it is a relic of the first movie as well. It's something we're just going to have to deal with. We'll probably keep flagging it. Yeah, I'm curious when when it comes comes up up in the the future seasons. The other thing we should cover is it's now revealed that this colonel has lots of men with him. Yeah, he's got a whole crew of mercenaries, and at some point they say they, they, they fought... Uh, in like the Middle East and maybe in I forget where else, but they all retired together, I guess, and they're now his mercenaries. Yep, right. So, so he's got essentially a small army that is, as we're about to find out, horribly incompetent but fantastically well armed. <laughs> right. Yep. So this is where this this episode turns into uh, a Macaulay Culkin vehicle with Duncan. As yeah, it's the just star. Home Alone Highlander edition. <laughs> it's also Skyfall. Like, this is exactly <laughs> yes. like Skyfall. I was like, did the writers of Skyfall watch this episode? Because it's, like, so remarkably similar in a lot of parts. I think it's a third-party discovery in that they both watched Home Alone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so one of the mercenaries cuts the phone cords because yep. uh, Alan tries to call the police, and that's mm-hmm. that's a no-go. Uh, so then they're like, well, let's sneak out and get to the Jeep. 
Yep. Uh, but they they go out there and they start shooting like grenades at them. It's ins- it, things just start exploding. <laughs> yeah, like they've got like a mortar or like a grenade yeah. launcher yeah. or something. Also, it's really foggy. This whole episode is really foggy, and that's why they can sneak around and stuff. Right. I was curious: is this fog real, or do we think they that's, are? They have like a hundred fog machines. I they couldn't so figure much. it out because sometimes I don't know, but it's awesome. Yeah. The, that actually, the fog is my favorite part yeah. of this episode. Yeah. Every, every once in a while, I felt like the fog was too much because I yeah. was like, I don't know what's going on. Like. I couldn't cool figure out if it was fake or not. Like, I don't know about using fog <sighs> machines outside. I don't know how effective they are. I honestly have no idea. But, mm. like, I, I don't know if it was real or not. My guess is it was probably real. Like, again, not knowing much about fog machines, yeah. I have a hard time picturing a fog machine being able to fill this much. open space yeah. outdoors. Presumably yeah. this would take days to film, though. So was there fog every day? I mean, this part of England might have fog every morning or yeah. something. Are they in England or are they in France? Oh, that's point? right. They're in France. I'm sorry. Right. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. But it is definitely, it's this this episode does have some atmosphere to it, which yeah. is pretty good. So I had a couple questions about this grenade launcher scene. First off, <laughs> first off, they're shooting grenade launchers at this person. I guess willing to buy that mercenaries somehow have access to grenade launchers that they can use. Fine. Sure. This is the most exposed our heroes ever are in the entire episode. No one else takes any steps to try to harm them other than this grenade launcher guy. Like, they're shooting the grenade launcher and they're just, like, all watching, like, huh. <laughs> yeah, nice grenades. Yeah, they don't but chase like, them or anything. They don't chase well, them. Nobody shoots their many guns yeah. in their direction. Like they, I think he started taking them out. firing against orders because then later when they're about to storm the chateau, the colonel says to one guy, like, and you don't start firing until I tell you to. He was sitting right next to the grenade launcher guy, though, wasn't he? I think he tells him to stop, though. Mm. Now I can't remember. Maybe he's still just hoping that they're going to surrender at this point. Maybe yeah, maybe it's like a warning shot sort of thing. Yeah. So I said across her nose, not up it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Uh, so they all retreat back inside, Duncan and the, the crew. And this, so then Duncan has this, this plan to like, he has test boil oil, yep. boil oil, boil, boil oil, boil Moral oil. I don't know. Heat up oil. Yep. <laughs> so uh, like they're preparing for like a Visigoth invasion. Yes. <laughs> like, uh, he, ele- he attaches electric wires to a doorknob. Yep. Uh, the, they Richie, barricade Richie windows. sets up a bear trap. Yep. Yeah. Um, what else, what other, I don't know, they barricade all the doors, yeah, it's all, like, it's, yeah, yeah, all the stops. Uh, they make a flamethrower out of uh-huh. something, so yeah. I don't know what that canister is full of, but it's evidently flammable. Yep. <laughs> also, the weird thing about this is Alan doesn't seem that afraid that they were just fired upon with a grenade launcher. Like, he comes in and it's like, oh, that guy's crazy. It's like, <laughs> he's, a, he's, he's, he's a diplomat. He's got ice water in his veins. Apparently. He's, he's a cool customer, yeah. I suppose. Uh, also, the best thing they prepared for, uh, Duncan organizes some saw blades. Oh, yeah. yeah. Just I wasn't sure which I thought was funnier. The Mega Man connection that we've made later. Oh, yeah. Now, like, not Cut Man. There's another one. Yeah. It's like a saw man <laughs> yep. or like a wheel gator at some point. So mm-hmm. that Duncan has now absorbed that power. That's uh, right. Also, it's like the movie Commando when Arnold runs out of bullets and he resorts to throwing buzzsaws at people. Right. Yeah. Which does, in fact, happen. Yeah. <laughs> so Richie and Mark get in this argument. Uh, well, there, there's, of course, a short flashback. Flashback number... F- this is number four rape. Oh, uh, God. And... Mark coming out of the flashbacks like I can't believe this is all over that mousy blonde bitch and Richie overhears it and he's like right. you did rape her and so they get in this scuffle 
Uh, Which is really silly. They're like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, just stumbling around. <laughs> yeah, they end up rolling other. around on the floor. Well, yeah. I guess a dude with a machine gun comes in and Duncan's <laughs> like, get down! The yeah. beat by beat on this is awesome. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so they drop to the floor. The guy with the machine gun just shoots at the str- wall. At the wall? Yeah. Literally at hip level, <laughs> just goes straight across the room. Yeah. And they are sitting there in the middle of the room, perfectly exposed. Yeah. He obviously sees them, and yep. he just elects not to shoot them for some reason. Right. And then Mac pops out and goes, Hey, soldier! <laughs> And he throws the circular saw blade yep. into this guy's chest. Which kills him immediately. <laughs> yeah, it just wastes this guy. Like, he's wearing layers of, like, protective, I would imagine heavy, like, military clothing. Yeah. Like, if he's wearing any, like, let's set aside the notion that he might be wearing, like, actual body armor of some kind. Yeah. I am skeptical that a saw blade would yep. easily travel through, like, even a leather jacket when just thrown by a person. Yep. I agree. This is not what these... Things are designed. For. <laughs> Nonetheless, we have yet to weaponize saw blades. Yeah. Unfortunately, still kind of cool. So Duncan takes this goon's machine gun, and at this point, I was like, "Oh wow, is Duncan going to use the gun?" Because we had this big discussion a lot of episodes ago, a bad day in Building A, when we're like, "Oh, does Duncan have like an aversion to guns?" Because he fights his way through an entire office building with like a stick. Right. Uh, and we're like, "Oh, he never picks up a gun. Is that intentional?" So he picks up this gun. He doesn't use it at this point. Maybe later. Um, <laughs> uh, so then Everett ends up calling Duncan at the mansion to, like, again, like, threaten him and be like, this is your last chance. Yeah. Wh- where's this phone? They cut the phone line. I think like, he's now tapped into the phone line. Like, I just, I don't know how this actually works, <laughs> yeah. but that they, like, the, the phone line now only goes to him. Right. Because at another point, Duncan calls him. Right. And right. is able to do so. So, so he's he got, must like, a have, car phone thing. Yeah. He, he must have <laughs> plugged his car phone into the house line. Yep. That's how it works. So there's there's more kind of home alonery happening. Uh, Tess, or yeah, t- some dude with a machine gun busts through a window or whatever, and this is insane. <laughs> so the montage of these traps working is beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> like this guy busts into the window and just tells Tess not to move, and he has her, and then she sprays him in the face like he's a cat, with like something with like a, yeah, like yeah. With Windex, and he goes stumbling backwards and hits a door that has all the hot oil above it. Yeah. And like a barbarian horde being repelled from a city's gates, yeah. he is scalded by hot oil. No. And let's be real, probably dies. Yeah. This guy's dead. Oh, right? yeah. Like, we don't see him no. die, but he does some blood-curdling screaming, yep. rise on the floor, and will almost surely die after this. Right. Yeah. So then... Uh, and then Tess is like, do you give up or you're thirsty for more? It's like, yes, he gives up. Home Alone. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, guys. Uh, <laughs> that was a Home Alone quote. Yeah. Uh, Lost in New York? No, the first one. Yeah. I think. So... <laughs> Another thing happens where a guy, his strategy to get into this chateau is to just unload an entire clip into a door. <laughs> like, he stands in front of this door for 30 seconds just shooting it, and Max just, like, waiting for him to come in. Then he just comes in, and Mac, like, dispatches him. I don't know. Yeah. So it goes, so that guy comes through. Duncan, he's wearing, like, a bomber jacket, and, like, Duncan just beats up Bomberman, like, old school, just punches him out. This is all cut together, so as part of this is we're seeing the boiling oil, and then separately, Rich, this guy comes in, Richie smacks him in the head with a pipe, and somehow he scoots along the ground until his face lands in a bear trap. Yeah. Uh And somehow this man does not die instantly. (laughs) I don't know, like, how, like, his neck is not immediately punctured by these spikes and he doesn't die, because, again, this trap was designed to catch a bear. Maybe it's Mm -hmm. a teddy bear trap? Yeah. That's what it was. Then... (laughs) 
Again, as part of this, the father with this makeshift flamethrower oh lights another man on fire. Yeah. So this is the second immolation in Highlander. Yep. Yeah. And also, this guy that he lights on fire, that's the dude. This this guy shows up. Uh, we'll see him in, I think, the next episode as well. But he he's like the this like French extra in all these episodes. He's, wow. He's the one inspector in, hold on, what episode is it? Uh, he's the one who gets out of the car and he goes, uh, da Darius. It's that guy. Well, he gets lit great. on fire, and the face the father makes, he puts on this gross smile. Like, he yeah. clearly got an intense erotic thrill from this, <laughs> and it's very upsetting. Like, this is why he's so calm with yeah. the grenade launcher. He was waiting for this creep. moment. Well, that's where Mark gets it. <laughs> yeah, maybe. At one point, Mac beats somebody up, and they fall into, like, a weird wicker basket <laughs> yes. that, like, shuts itself. Like, and it's like, like a little trap. Like, I'm like, it's wicker. <laughs> I don't know what my note on this was related to, but I think at some point, maybe for season two, we should just have a Stan Kirsch gets owned count. <laughs> yeah. He gets owned twice in this episode, yeah. if not three times. Yeah. I, my rough memory was three for this one. Yeah. But I'm thinking feature for season two. That's good. No. Richie gets wrecked count. <laughs> well, he gets like walloped by some guy and Mark doesn't help him at all. Yeah. But, so this guy trips over a wire and Mark yeah. refuses to like hit him, even though he's got he, like, like a wusses pipe. out. Yeah. yeah. Pipe Man Begins. Ooh. Part two. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I like that. The Pipe Man Rises. <laughs> so, this Who's guy... the first Pipe Man? Was it the clown in in The Lady and the Tiger? Uh, that was the first Pipe oh, Man. Yeah. Pipe Man. Yeah. 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 This guy has... He houses Richie. He has Mark. He has him. And then the colonel blows this whistle, and he retreats. Yep. But I'm like, he had the guy. He had the guy they were trying to get. I don't understand. Yeah, yeah it's weird. Just grab him on your way out. Just, yeah, yeah. You gotta just drug him out of there. Yeah, yeah. I don't get it. So yeah, Ever calls off all the troops because I guess the attack failed. Because I don't know if he's getting play-by-play reports on. Like I it's, got oiled. I, I got like, bear trapped. Well, I guess four of his guys are are dead, or three are dead, and Duncan just kicked the crap out of one of them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, and so so now now like the, the 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 gang is kind of reconvened. Now at this point. Alan, Mark's father, is starting to suspect maybe Mark did do this. Right. Now we get into Mark's confession. Because Mark kind of admits it. Oh, yeah. So Richie, I guess, rats him out. And he's like, yeah, he told me he did it. Uh, (laughs) uh, So now we get this insane kind of montage of Mark's excuses. Like, oh, she wanted it. You should have seen what her friends thought of her, blah, blah, blah. And we now get to see rape count five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten. Uh, we we have five wait what six rape flashbacks within maybe two minutes of jeez no. so it, this gets real intense uh, but the, the the gang is appropriately disgusted with her right uh, him. Or with him excuse me not with her not right. with her absolutely not with her <laughs> <laughs> with him yeah I'm sorry <laughs> uh, but just as an odd bit of levity in this scene I don't know if you noticed Tess's outfit she's wearing like a white denim outfit. I have to interrupt you for one second because I'm just looking at my notes. Eleven. There are seven rape flashbacks in this scene. Oh, my God. I had to turn my page on my notes, and there's number eleven. Good God. Sorry. So, Uh, Kyle. (laughs) Oh, but Tess is wearing throughout this episode this, like, white denim outfit. It's like a denim top and white jeans. And there is just a circular brown stain right on the butt of these white (laughs) jeans. What? I don't know what it is. What? I didn't see Maybe that at she all. she sat down on a brownie. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but there is just a brown stain on these white jeans. 
<laughs> it is wonderful. Man. It's wonderful. I wish I saw that. Oh. Maybe it was part of that boiling oil. Yeah, you never know. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe part of that guy's face melted on yeah. there. <laughs> so outside, Laurie, played by Marianne Cotier, uh, come, comes to the scene and she pleads with her father to like take yep. her home. She's like, I want all this madness to stop. And she... They get into some some good good territory here about you know this this is not about me like this is your revenge and your ego uh, this isn't my revenge like you have to leave like that up to me um, but yeah. then the colonel has an insane reaction to this and he's just like get her out of here lock her up well she threatens to report him to the police if he doesn't stop. So I think that's why he decides to lock her up. But it's like she's just been through an extremely traumatic experience, and you're locking her up against her will. Like, this and he is... locks her up in like a shed, yeah, <laughs> yeah, a dark shed. Really reprehensible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, it's not great. Like he's he's losing points just yeah. constantly. This episode wants you to sympathize, I think, more with the colonel. And actually, they even kind of call out this kind of gray area. I was looking at the script, and one of the co- I don't know why they cut this line, but in the next scene, uh, Richie actually has a line uh, that says, I'm having a hard time figuring out who the good guys and the bad guys are here. And I was like, oh, I wish they kept that line in, because that, you know, is part of, I think, what could be good about this episode. Uh, but yeah, they don't, they don't do a good job with the colonel. Like, he, like, when he locks up his daughter, like, he's constantly kind of going down this slope of, no, you're not a good guy. Um, yeah, and so they they don't really set up this this dynamic well, I don't think, and he's not sympathetic. Nope. Well, this is something I think the series struggles with a little bit because they love, and I think we love for the most part, these kind of over the top, almost comedically evil villains. Right. But it's like part of the charm; like it really kind of sells it. Like Slam the Cat is awesome. Yeah, you know, just for his over the topness. But then when you want to explore kind of subtler stories, it it kind of runs into difficulty or like there's an almost an unwillingness to let people be fully gray. There always has to be some moment where it's like, Oh no, Duncan really is the good guy here. Right. Or, oh, this person really is bad before the resolution. And I, I don't know. It feels like a, a, a retreat from more interesting territory. Yeah. Alan wants to get Mark out of there. He's kind of sick of this whole thing. He doesn't want to endanger the rest of the crew. Right. So he thinks it's a good idea to, Go outside and try to reason or escape on their own. Mm-hmm. So Tess tells Mac about this, and then he goes kind of running after them. Yep. Which yeah. apparently was he should have done from the beginning because it's super effective. Right. Yeah. <laughs> he like Metal Gear Solids like <laughs> five of these guys or whatever. Yeah. Like, and just wastes them. Yep. Also, it's worth noting this is the first time we've seen Mac kill a mortal in a long time. Yeah. Because even though I suppose his his Home Alone schemes almost certainly resulted in the deaths of some <laughs> of these guys, he doesn't really pull the trigger on them or anything like that. Right. Not so here. Yeah. Like, no. Max starts breaking necks, gunning yep. people. Yep. He's It's bad day in Building 8. Yeah. Man. Yeah. And, definitely. And here he's really backed into a corner. Like, I feel like he doesn't have a choice in this scenario, really. Well, he the one choice he does have is to turn them over. Right. But otherwise, it... I suppose his hand is kind of forced that he does have to fight these people if he's not going to turn them over because the colonel's clearly being unreasonable. But. Right. right. Uh, so one of these goons he dispatches, he does take his gun. And so, again, yeah. we're like, is Duncan going to use a gun? Absolutely he is. Uh, yeah. So the big climax of this episode is Mark gets cornered by one of these goons, mm-hmm. and this guy's going to shoot him, and his father, being a good guy, dives in front of the bullets yep. so this and again unlike, mirrors that scene yeah the french flashback unlike mac he manages to take all the bullets right 
Uh, but so he's in critical condition. Right? Yeah. And so Mac blows away the dude that shot yep. him. Uh, he's like, no! Yeah. Uh, and he, he mows him down with his machine gun. So yep. Duncan has, I guess, no qualms about the machine gun thing. No. Which is, I mean, again, fine, I think, in this scenario. Sure. Like you said, I think he's, his hand is kind of forced to, yeah. that he had to act. Well, at this point, he's shooting this guy to protect Mark. But, I mean, that's because of his idea of justice where... I'm assuming it's not like okay for this guy to just execute Mark without it being proven or again, I feel like they they should have upped the discussion of the diplomatic immunity thing. I feel like in the scenario of this episode, we are left without any real question that Mac is right and this guy's wrong because he's going through and he's mowing down all these innocent people. Right. But in a world in which they really play up the fact that it's like, no, like, Mac, you are incorrect insofar as you think the justice system will handle it. Like, maybe maybe this guy doesn't deserve to be killed, but there isn't another sane avenue to go down. It's not as though we could secure justice for this girl otherwise, because he's immune. That would have made this whole thing feel a little more... Right. Sympathetic, because it's mm-hmm. like, you know what, now, Mac, like, maybe you're not on as strong of territory as you as you think like you're defending this guy because you don't want him to be killed not because there are systems in place to handle him yeah it would have been interesting if either he came to the realization or maybe someone like tess brought up the fact that like duncan is all noble in the beginning like well we've got to just turn him in and you know the courts will handle this or whatever but at this point how many people have died and you know like to have him maybe wrestle with the idea of like is my sense of justice is this principle like, worth all these other people dying for? Like, it's a principle I hold. Maybe not all of them do. How many people need to die for a principle? Right. Yeah. That yeah. would have been an interesting way to go with this. And he could have decided... Maybe he could have decided still he wanted to and had a big speech about yeah. that sort of stuff. But, yeah, I think it should have been brought up. It would have been interesting. Yeah. Mm. The gray stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also interesting, Richie is given a handgun at some point in this. Yeah. <laughs> First off, he looks so awkward in that big star jacket. At one point, yep. he like, holds it behind his head, and it's yep. like, what? But then later, he's trying to explain something, <laughs> and it's just like, don't shake a gun or load a gun around. And at one point, he points it directly at his own head. While, it's like, uh, while uttering the line, I nearly had my brain splattered all over the place because you're such a dot, dot, dot. Because <laughs> Mark's like, give me the gun. And then he's, yeah, he's waving it around <laughs> at his own temple. It's like, that moment is right now. (laughs) Because you almost just shot yourself in the head. Mac, like, takes up uh, Alan, and he's like, all right, we got to get him back to the chateau, and Mark follows. And Mark's like, oh, he's okay. (laughs) No, he's not. (laughs) He's just riddled with bullets. So then Mark decides he wants to go out again alone, and this is why he wants the gun from Richie. He wants to go out and, like, I guess settle this mano a mano. I got the impression he doesn't want to settle it. I think he's just done. I think he's just like, I'm out. Like, Hmm. he's still being cowardly. But then why take the gun? Just to protect protect himself. himself. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's selfish. I don't think he he cares about any of these people. I mean, I I don't think he would not get help, but I think he's he's not going to stick with the crew and maybe do what's in everyone's best interest. I think he's just fending for himself and he'll send the police there later. Hmm. Well, the one thing that does lead credence to that <laughs> is what he does to Stan Kirsch. Yep. You mean murder him? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because he bashes yeah. Stan Kirsch with a pipe. Yeah. I mean, obliterates him. Yeah. It's like, holy shit, this yep. is a homicide. Yep. <laughs> like, Richie has the thickest skull in the Highlander universe, it seems. Like, yeah, really wrecks him and yep. takes the gun. And it's like... Yeah, you're a rapist and murderer, basically. Yeah. Like you couldn't hit the guy who was there to kill you, but you can kill. Like you can just 
obliterate the 19-year-old kid who's risking his life to help you? Yep. Not cool. I know about guys, but But rarely. Rarely. (laughs) Your head plus a pipe. (laughs) Big star. (laughs) So Richie goes out after him and hears Talia El Ghul knocking on the door to somebody to let her out. So he lets her out. He wants the keys to the Jeep. And she's like, I don't have them. And he's like, well, maybe I can hotwire it. And that's like the end of this little scene. Yeah, nothing comes of this. Yeah, nothing, <laughs> nothing comes of this. And I, I was waiting for Richie to mow someone down with that Jeep at a seminal moment. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's, that's what you would nope. expect. Um, also, just since we're, this is, this is the second to last episode of the series, so I thought this would be a good time to just talk about just a plot point with Richie. Like, so in this scene, you'd think, yeah, he would probably hotwire the car. He's a thief. And that would kind of help save the day. And I was thinking, this is an odd thing that's kind of dropped throughout the whole season. That would be interesting. Like, a better, I think, character point for him is he's introduced as a thief. and But we never get his thief thief skills, really. Like, I don't think... Like, all the times that Duncan is doing all this dumb hacking and stuff, I yeah. would rather see Richie break into an office and steal some files. Or, like, they never... Like, it, it would make it more like a, they acted as a team or something. Like, that he could put his thieving skills to good use yeah and the times we do see it it's results in hilarity like when he <laughs> breaks into gabriel patone's house like and that's thieving. yeah but then that yeah. just ends <laughs> <in burning. laughs> so yeah yeah so i i, I don't know I, I i wish that was something that they, they played up more that he yeah. could use those skills for good also, Mac has now run out of the chateau again there's lots of going in and out of this place yeah and, uh, <laughs> he goes after mark once again, Metal Gear Solid's yep. more goons, yep. which is apparently super effective. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and comes across the colonel. And somewhere along the line, he gets his sword. I yep. guess he must have gotten it on this excursion, because... Oh, yeah. That's... Cause, I didn't even think about that. Or just on him all the time. But like, he would have used it. Yeah. Oh. He, like, also, maybe. He's, not, he's not wearing a coat in any of this episode, so where is he keeping this sword? I think that's just one of those things, like... I should be went back when he said I have to get something out of the car in the beginning. Oh, yeah, I think yeah. he wanted to go get his sword. So right. I assumed that Oh. I assumed that then somewhere off camera while he's doing this, he went and actually does get it. Right. Interesting. That would make yeah. sense. Because yeah. otherwise I feel like you give someone a sword before you make a jury rigged flamethrower for them. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Right. I've never had to defend a chateau from mercenaries, but mm. Duncan and the Colonel Everett are not going to be able to solve this amicably. Nope. Uh, so they decide it's time to throw down. Yeah. Uh, so they have a sword fight, which is pretty good. Yeah. And the lighting is, uh, this is the highlight <laughs> of the fog for me. Because it's yeah. like the, the lighting in this entire scene. They're also in front of this kind of, weird. it's not a willow tree, but it's yeah. like an ancient looking sagging tree that's yeah. like peering in and out of the fog. Yep. It's really atmospheric. It's great. Like the branches are all like curvy and it provides really good light mm-hmm. in the fog. Like this fight's awesome and kind of not really that good to me at the same time. Cause like the setting's good, but they're kind of just like hopping over a log a lot. Yeah. <laughs> there's just, a lot of log hopping. Yeah. There's not a lot of like continuity throughout the fight. It's yeah. like just a quick, like they hit swords a couple times and yeah. then like one of the characters will kind of disappear into the yeah. fog. And so it's, it's like, Awesome and kind of not at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sticking with the mini buzz theme, at one point, Mac loses the colonel in the fog. Mm-hmm. And right before he reemerges, there's another kind of buzz sound. Oh, really? That yeah. I'm, oh. I'm not sure if that was designed to, to be mm. reflecting that. Oh, I think it, so. Like, it actually is, in that instance, an immortal Spidey sense. It's like yeah, a little phaser. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's, I think, the first time we've seen it used that like, way. Like a Spidey sense thing. Yeah, which yeah. is interesting. I thought it was, it was interesting. interesting. It was kind of neat. I don't, I suspect this will not be consistent or used again. But Probably I, not. 
it was an interesting thought that maybe this this is more of a power than we give it credit for. But. Yeah, right. I like the Colonel Sword also. He's like a cool. Yeah, he's got a like a kind of looks like a rapier. Whoops. Is <laughs> 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 that was that a, a pun or a Freudian slip? A uh, little bit of both. <laughs> oh, it almost looks like a like a cavalry sword or yeah. something like that. Yeah, it's got like a big brass hilt on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, then Mark and Lori just both show up to this sword fight. Yep. Amazingly have no questions about the sword fight. Nope. Neither of them yeah. are really curious about what is happening here. Right. But they both are also armed. Because I guess Richie took the, or Mark took the gun from Richie after pipe bashing him. Yeah. And Lori has a gun. Has a gun. Yeah. Well also Mac has beaten the Colonel at this point and is very reluctantly about to take his head. Like he really doesn't seem like he oh, wants right. to do it. Yeah, I, I didn't think he was gonna because he has his sword up, but then I think yeah. he puts it down. So I think yeah. he was just gonna hopefully let it be. I thought he was gonna do it when the guy said, "He's like, will you let this go?" And he says, "No." Yeah. I think that was when he was gonna do it. It's right. like, all right, this is your like this is your last chance to to walk away from this because obviously Mac's not gonna babysit this guy forever. And he's gonna right. have to right. <laughs> The two kids show up. And they're both armed. And Mark wants Duncan to kill Everett. Marion Kotar is there, and she shoots Mark to yep. prevent this from happening. Like, it's this big kind of standoff. Well, does Mark fire at her? Like, they both fire at each other at the same time. I thought they were both going to end up shot just because of the way the yeah. sound effects worked. Yeah. But I don't know whether he shot and she and missed, or she shot twice, or there was an echo, what the deal was. But she's sh- fine. Yeah, I read it that he shot and he missed, but she got her, got, hmm. got him. Okay. So, Mark, you're you're really the worst because yep. you're gonna shoot the girl that you raped. But yeah, yep. <laughs> uh, or was he trying to shoot at Everett or Mac? I think like initially he Mac? was, but then he, he saw her with the gun. Right. Yeah. Also, it's still Mark being a complete wimp because he has a gun. Why does Why doesn't he just go kill Everett? Like he doesn't yeah. want to do it. He's like Mac, yeah. you do it for me because I'm a pussy. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So. Yeah, I don't know what that's all about. But th- yeah. there is something kind of interesting in the scene. Everett does, when when uh, Laurie shoots Mark, Everett's like, no, don't. Uh, like, he doesn't want her to shoot Mark. And I thought this kind of recontextualizes that di- dialogue they have earlier where she was like, oh, this is about your ego. Right. And it's it's it should be my revenge, not yours. And then this this scene made me give pause to that. And it's like, oh, maybe she was actually wrong that this this wasn't about – Ego, or, or I mean, it still is about revenge, but it wasn't about his ego. But he wanted to protect Laurie from having to do this herself. Like, I, I think he maybe is acknowledging the effects that like war and death have on an individual, and he didn't want his daughter to uh, experience that. I agree. It would have been interesting if that was part of their conversation earlier, but it was not. Yeah, and, and also we don't really see the fallout of that either through like yeah. Laurie's eyes. Like, it would have been interesting to see her maybe not deal with that very well that she had to do it, but she seems kind of okay with it also it's kind of weird that she she does take this leap to killing mark where before she was like hey like she seemed pretty level-headed yeah like after having gotten raped like she was like no let's t- t- call the police like yeah. and then she's like you know what i'm just gonna kill him so well he did have a gun this is true yeah, yeah. basically that's it mark's dead um <laughs> <laughs> for whatever reason they don't call an ambulance for alan they just have a doctor show up and Drives into the hospital. Yeah, and I, I wasn't sure. Yeah, there's just some, yeah, a doctor there. There's no yeah. ambulance. Good guys are fine. <laughs> yeah. uh, but then Duncan's like, we need to go. And I wasn't really sure, are they going to follow them to the hospital? Or was his plan to bail? Because at this point, we've seen no sign of the police. Yeah. So part of me was thinking it's like 
Duncan is just like, let's get out of here and not deal with this at all. Before they ask who set up the bear trap. Yeah. Yeah. That's possible. Which one of you lied in wait to kill these people? Yeah. (laughs) There's a lot of corpses around this chateau. Yeah. A a lot. Yeah. Yeah. In general, I, I have kind of mixed feelings about this episode. I feel like there was a lot of seeds of good things and... For, for If I had my druthers, if I was writing this show, the the flashback, I think, would have been a, a really interesting way to handle this whole episode. And I would have liked to have seen that flashback continue uh, and maybe culminate with the flashback that's actually in the episode. But ha- to have two stories running tandem in which it's this, this idea of, like, his word against mine. But in the one circumstance, the person is innocent in this, the present time that the person is guilty. I think that would have been an interesting way to kind of juggle them. At the, at the core of this episode, I think for Duncan, the question is not about if they're innocent or guilty, but it's about the process uh, which we find out and kind of prosecute them for that one way or the other. So I think it would have been interesting to see those scenarios play out where one was guilty and one was innocent. That's not bad. I feel like this <laughs> episode... Thank you. Thank you very episode, much. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> not bad. Main. Uh... <laughs> I think this episode just needed to be simplified. Like, there could have been less going on and made it work. Like, I think the the interesting conflict here, one, they have no... The, the, the thing that's crucial about the rape is that there's no smoking gun that Mac can know for sure what, what's actually going on. So he's left trying to figure out what to do in the face of this other immortal coming out. There should have been no mercenaries. Like, this entire Home Alone plot... Should not have gone on. Yeah. Because also, this guy, it's perfectly normal that one immortal comes and Duncan has to deal with them. It's not like they need a gang of guys to be threatening. It could just have been as simple as, like, look, if you're going to stop me, I'm going in and getting this guy. If you're going to stop me, like, let's go somewhere secluded and do it. And him just having to decide whether or not he's willing to, you know, fight and maybe kill this guy over over saving mark i think that's really the the core of the episode is is he willing to kill an otherwise seemingly good person and then you lose all these like horrible things that this colonel does for no reason and then i think the emotional climax is the conversation that she has with him uh where he locks her in the shed and maybe he does or does not realize the kind of vanity of the quest he's on my thoughts in this episode were blah (laughs) I, i just i didn't like it there we go. Know. Well, yeah. to be clear, it's not good. Yeah. Uh, oh no. I, this is not, a this is a pretty meh episode. Yeah. I mean, I think that there were interesting things that maybe could have been done with some of these themes, but this was like they took bad day in building A and at least added a question to it. Like some right. there, there there is a moral issue here, but it's grafted onto a silly trapped in a building plot. Yep. Yeah, it's a Bugs Bunny cartoon. and Yeah. Um, so, uh, some behind-the-scenes stuff on this episode. Uh, well, I guess the Watcher Chronicles, not too many details for Everett Bellion, uh, but he was born in 1850 in Bristol, England, and died in 1901 at 51 years old. So, interesting? <laughs> not really. <laughs> I guess, is this the first old, kind of oldish immortal we've seen? Yeah, I think so. It's like Mac kind of lucked out, dying in his, his prime. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that we haven't discussed, I guess, in the... The series yet or hasn't really been brought up is that well what do you look like and like how are you preserved as an immortal and that's I, I, something they deal with later i think we also talked about it in the episode free fall uh oh that you have to die to kind of activate your immortality i think he explains that to to joan jet right which is a, a useful fact in an otherwise troubling episode right but that that explains why immortals are of dif- different ages um so, behind the scenes, um, Bill Panzer, just a little tidbit. He said this whole episode is an homage to Sam Peckinpah's Straw Dogs, uh, which uh-huh. is a movie about, like, rape and 
vengeance stuff. Hmm. Uh, but he also did like The Wild Bunch, which is a good movie. But yeah, thanks everyone for joining us for this episode. This was a fun one to talk about. I'm sure we'll have some good Facebook stuff to post uh, regarding all these booby traps, which is pretty good. Yeah. Uh, I, I have a feeling the stuff we post on Facebook will be the things most most worth seeing about this episode. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so. we'll, 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 we'll put the highlight reel together. Uh, so make sure to follow us, follow us on Facebook if you're not doing that already. Come on. Uh, that's where you get all the bonus content, which is clips and whatever, pictures and all that fun stuff. Uh, rate us on iTunes. That's a big help. We, we appreciate everyone. We, we've got a, a number of reviews already, and I, we really appreciate everyone who's taking the time to write us a review. But more importantly, it's a great way for you know more people to discover the show and get into Highlander, which is really important for us because we want to share all the Highlander love. Uh, also, make sure to write us. If you have any thoughts on this episode or any past episodes we've done, uh, send us an email at HighlanderRewatched at gmail.com. Uh, so, yeah, thanks for joining us this week. I've been one of your rewatchers, Keith. I'm Kyle. This is Eamon. Bye. So what should the hand symbols be for party, magic, and horses? <laughs> thinking like parties like a hat. It's like a little party hat. Party hat? <laughs> horse. What is that? It's a horse cow. A horse cow would be magic, though. Yeah, that looks like a hand wizard right, so that's thing. magic. What's horse, then? Oh, uh, boy. That's just a person running. Yeah.